I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Just start rattling off all the bad things I've done until you get tired of hearing about them or what? I'm going to talk to you about the judge of the fatherless. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't mean to be so difficult, Mrs. Cleaver. It's just that he's at the age where he doesn't realize how important it is to keep a promise. Which Bible stories you want to hear? He's just a Sunday school. Thanks, Dad. Welcome back to the Faith of the Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, here to reignite the faith of our fathers. And I've been very busy trying to do that over these last couple of weeks. I mean, it's kind of what I do for a living. But over these last couple of weeks, I've had a lot of adventures. And some of it has to do with doing pro-life work on college campuses, which I'm going to share with you. Um, I've got a lot, actually, to share about that. But today, I wanted to follow up on the last podcast, um, which had to do with responding to um, injustice, responding to evil, you know, when things go wrong, when things go the, not the way that, uh, in ways we didn't think they should, you know, how do we keep hope? How do we keep faith? Well, this week I want to um, kind of, it's kind of along the same lines, but focusing more on lifting our eyes to have more hope for the future than we are used to allowing ourselves to have. So theology is really important. Um, not because, as many people, I think, subconsciously do this, many people believe that having the right theology is what gets you saved. It doesn't. Uh, the only theology that gets you saved is the uh, belief that Jesus' blood on the cross was shed for your sins, that you are a sinner and Jesus' blood pays for your sin. So you get baptized into Jesus and you're born again. That is the the only theological necessity for being saved. Everything else is important because the truth will set you free, and whatever you believe incorrectly about God is going to lead to bondage in one form or another in your life because the opposite of the truth setting you free is a lie making you captive. So all theology really matters. Eschatology is one that matters um, because of the way it affects the way we live right here and right now. So I went to see my county commissioner um, to try to persuade him to, and I've been doing this for a while now, trying to get the county commissioners to get rid of the voting machines to stop using our money to pay for machines that are designed to manipulate and steal our votes. Um, and so this has been an ongoing thing. So I went to see this guy, and he's clearly a Christian. Um, you know, he, he loved God, he loves his country, um, and he knows that there are problems. But he was slow to pull the trigger on... Um, you know, going to paper ballots for several reasons, which are not necessarily that important at this moment. Um, but one of the things he said to me was that he had heard a teaching from Greg Laurie, who's a well-known evangelist um, teacher. I think he's on the radio a good deal. And he said that, said that Greg Laurie teaches in his eschatology from Revelation that you know, the United States isn't in the Bible, so some way or another, the United States is going to be gone uh, before Jesus returns. And his point in telling me that was basically to say, um, yeah, I see that there are problems, but sooner or later, we're going to wither away into nothing as a nation anyway. And that is a very sad, wrong position to take, and I take issue with that. Um, so, the gospel, according to Mark 1.15, is 
what Jesus came proclaiming, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, didn't say, Goodbye, I'll see you guys later. Uh, try to get along without me. Try to hold on. Soon, someday I'll come back and I'll make everything better. He said, All, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And then he ascended to his throne. He didn't ascend to heaven in the sense of leaving us because he just finished saying, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us. He hasn't gone away. He's right here with us right now. Um, And the ascending has nothing to do with him leaving. It has everything to do with him being enthroned. Jesus ascended to his throne. And so Jesus is Lord of all, uh, and he's in charge right now. Jesus told his disciples, greater things will you do than what he was doing at that time because I go to the Father, he said. We are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, um, and we are supposed to be doing the same things he was doing, which is why I'm so excited to actually be casting out demons in these days, uh, which I think I have done at times in the past without knowing it. Now I'm doing it consciously, which is much more effective Uh, and, um, you know, I've talked about that before. It's not our topic for today, but it will be our topic over and over again in different forms going forward, because this, this is what Jesus called us to do, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, uh, because his kingdom has come. And Jesus told, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has truly come among you. So the kingdom of God has come, and it's not leaving. It's not going anywhere. Some people will say, when you talk about healing, like when I say that um, I believe that God wants to heal everybody, they'll say, uh, that is over-realized eschatology, which is a fancy way of saying that you expect too much from God in the here and now, um, because obviously Christians get sick and die, therefore um, you must be wrong. And we're just, sometimes we just have to hold on, you know, white knuckle it until Jesus comes back. So I think that's wrong. And I wanted to share with you a little, a short little article that I wrote about that, which says that the news, the good news, the gospel news is better than you and I think it is. So some people, as I just mentioned, they warn against what we call, they call over-realized eschatology. So Like I said, it's a fancy way of saying you expect to see more of God's power and justice in this life than what they think is realistic. Now, I don't know what, how you determine what is realistic if the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has come. If it's here, it's here. You know, uh, how do we decide how much of it we should expect? Did the kingdom of God come halfway? You know, should we expect fevers and colds to be healed, but not cancer? You know what I mean? Like, so how do you determine If it's not all the way here, if the kingdom of God, you know, when Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, doesn't that mean all authority? I think it does. So, but the kingdom is here and not yet, we say, which is true. We're waiting for Jesus to return to make all things new and to wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that doesn't mean that we don't have access to the fullness already. You know, the book of Hebrews talks about those who have tasted of the powers of the age to come. Um, and N.T. Wright talks a lot about how Jesus, in his resurrection, he's the firstborn from the dead. So there's this real sense in which Jesus has stepped into God's future. Uh, what God did in Jesus' body by raising Jesus bodily from the dead, 
Jesus didn't get a new body and leave the old body in the tomb. Jesus's old body was uh, was recreated, was renewed from the inside out and totally made new, but out of the same old stuff. Um, so the old stuff was renewed and refined and Jesus's body was saved and restored and never to die again. So what God did in Jesus's body, he's going to do for the whole cosmos. Um, and that's what we have to look forward to. But Jesus, as the firstborn from the dead, has already gone there. And when he sends us his Holy Spirit, he's sending the future back to us in the present so that we in the present can live like people who are part of God's future. And I hope that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me, so I trust it's going to make sense to you. So I assume when we emphasize the not yet part, it's because we're afraid of disappointment and it's because we lack faith. And I would say that's been true of me. You know, if you say that the kingdom of God is here, you would expect that everyone you pray for is going to get healed, right? Uh, but that doesn't happen. So um, we kind of, we want to pull back from that a lot of times. I, uh, well, pretty much most of the time. And because we're afraid that, you know, our claims will sound bigger uh, and what people expect from that won't happen, therefore we we don't really we don't even really talk about the kingdom. I think we're afraid to because it sounds like too big of a point. So we we proclaim this good news and then we follow it up with a severe disclaimer like but the kingdom is not fully here yet. And again that question just looms, well how much of it? How much of the kingdom should we be expecting right now in the present? In Matthew 16 Jesus told his disciples that some of you, meaning his disciples, some of you standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Shortly after that statement, the disciples witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus and see Jesus glorified. This event made them realize they were further along in history than they thought. The kingdom of God was appearing right before their eyes. Despite this experience, when the disciples descended from the mountain, they encountered an evil spirit that they failed to cast out. This failure exasperated Jesus and confused the disciples. So Jesus said, some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom coming, um, see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the disciples are dead. I think we should safely assume that the kingdom is in fact here already. Uh, Jesus, immediately after saying that, the disciples witness this transfiguration of Jesus where he is changed, he's transformed in front of their eyes, and I believe that they saw this as a fulfillment. Oh, Jesus is the Messiah. He is already glorified somehow. What what does this mean? Um, so the, the disciples then come down the mountain and they encounter some of the other disciples who are failing to cast out a demon. And Jesus is exasperated by this. That might exasperate some of us. That might frustrate some of us that Jesus is exasperated with his disciples who can't cast out a demon. Because how many of us have ever cast out a demon? How many of us who have cast out a demon have also failed to cast out a demon? Um, so uh, it's it's an interesting point here. Why is Jesus upset? And Jesus set, tells him why. The disciples ask, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your lack of faith, it's not an answer we like too much. But says, I'm telling you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. That's Matthew 17, 19 through 20. So a lot of people aren't going to like 
kind of the direction that I'm going at this moment because they're going to, right now, you're probably feeling, oh no, one of these people who's going to tell me I don't have enough faith and I just need to have more faith. We don't like that phrase because that has oftentimes um, been used as a way of, yeah, just, it's kind of a condemning thing. What's wrong with you? You don't have enough faith, um, which we translate immediately into you're not good enough. The truth is none of us are good enough for God in the sense that we haven't we haven't uh, earned his love. It's not even possible. We can't make up for our sins by doing good deeds. None of that. The only reason, though, you're good enough for God is because he thought you have value. When God created you, he created you with value that he put in you, and he saw you as being so value, valuable that he gave his only son to save you. Jesus has saved you when you put your faith in him. If you have not cast out demons, and if you try to cast out demons and you fail, you haven't lost God's love. You need to know that freedom if you're going to be effective in ministry, if you're going to do the work of the Spirit, if you're going to do the work of the kingdom and cast out demons. You have to know that when you fail, you are still loved, because that's the only way you're going to try. If you think that you know, trying to do something like casting out a demon and failing because you don't have enough faith, if you think that God is going to be angry at you for that, or that he's going to, for some reason, reject you because of that, you simply will not try. The majority of the church in America has never tried. Most people have not even thought, truly, of trying to cast out a demon. But the disciples are still fully loved by Jesus, even as they are failing in this task of casting out a demon. So be at peace about that. When I say, when I quote Jesus, saying, it's because of your lack of faith, don't feel condemned because Jesus loves you. And if you do feel condemned, just say, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. And then let's move on. Let's learn to cast out demons and let that condemnation be behind us. Amen? So the problem the disciples have, though, in the reason they can't cast out the demon is because they have an under-realized eschatology. In other words, they believe Jesus's message that the kingdom of God has, in fact, come but when they encountered this difficult situation, they threw up their hands saying, well, I guess our power here is limited. Maybe that's not fully what they did because they came to Jesus saying, hey, we couldn't do it. So they did the right thing. They went to Jesus and being like, we've got a problem here. We don't, we're not having success. Uh, and so they had enough faith to go to Jesus for it, which is what we should do. But still they had um, a lack of faith in the power of, of the kingdom of God given to them in this moment. So the disciples are the forerunner for the church. Jesus commissioned them to cast out demons before he rose from the dead. But when Jesus rose from the dead and all authority in heaven and earth was given to him, he then bequeathed that to the church for the rest of time that we would be equipped with the Holy Spirit, all of us, to cast out demons. And there is a learning curve, or learning curve in that, uh, in that work. The disciples are the pioneers, so we should have grace for them for having difficulty. So, uh, I don't know that there is anything that we could rightly call over-realized eschatology. The kingdom is here or it's not here, and the gospel clearly states that the kingdom of God is here. There is more of the kingdom to come, and I'm not denying that. Every tear needs to be wiped away. All sickness and death needs to be defeated. All evil must be eradicated. 
we still pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. But when it comes to prayer, action, and our expectation of what God will do in the here and the now, we need to remind ourselves that the kingdom of God has already come. After all, a crucial part of how God's rule and reign gets implemented on earth is via God's people. If we don't believe and behave as though the kingdom of God is here, most of the world will never see it. It's vital for the world that the church gets a better hold of the truth that the kingdom of God has already come and is here and now. And just, you know, tying into um, the last podcast about politics, you know, we, some people, we're all called to play a role in politics because politics has to do with government and every person has to govern them, govern themselves and then govern their home and then play a role in the government of their community, their state, their nation. It just ripples out. We're all called to politics. Some people are called to a more uh, pronounced, more focused uh, realm of politics. Sometimes we get, um, we get caught up in a lie that power is, that the ultimate power in the world is political power, and it's not. One of the main things Jesus came to do is to redefine what power looks like. And the greatest power of all, as cliche as it may sound, is love. You know, um, when Jesus was enthroned as the king of the Jews, he was enthroned as a crucified man. He looked like a failure. Uh, He was mocked. He was naked. He was beaten. He was tortured. And at the same time, he was enthroned because God rules and reigns in the world through self-giving love, which means love that lays down its life for others. Um, That's not being a doormat. It means doing the right thing, even when we suffer for it, because the world will benefit from it. Um, Our children will benefit from it. Uh, Our neighbors will benefit from it. And even our enemies will benefit from it. And in doing that, we are being like Christ, who, while we were sinners, died for us. And when we were enemies of God, reconciled us to himself. And so we are called to rule and reign. We should expect more, not less, of God's justice in the earth, but we also also should be prepared to take up our cross uh, in order to make it happen, because um, it's not going to happen without us suffering. And that's not because God's some kind of sadistic being who likes his children to suffer. It's because God himself is willing to suffer for the sake of our benefit. And if we want to be like him, if we want to share in his glory, if we wanted to share in his image, we're going to have to do. We're going to have to be like him and be willing to suffer for the sake of others, and um, and we suffer for the sake of righteousness. We don't suffer for the sake of suffering. We don't go out and find some way to suffer. We do the right thing, and when we get persecuted for it, we continue on anyway because it's for the good of the world itself. The Bible says that if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. And I think as we're suffering with him, we are reigning with him. So my belief and my hope and my expectation is that America will be redeemed. What that looks like exactly in the future, I don't know, except that it will involve um, integrity. It will involve the restoration of the family. It will involve the restoration of law and order. It will involve the restoration of the justice system and so much more. And uh, I will never quit 
pursuing that end because the promise that is guaranteed to me in the resurrection of Jesus is that the earth will be flooded with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, just as Jesus' crucified body was filled with the glory of the Lord and came to life again. Resurrection is the future of the church and it's the future of the world that is in Christ. And I'm thankful for that promise and the guarantee uh, because Jesus is already raised from the dead, never to die again. And the Holy Spirit is given in the present as a witness to his resurrection, assuring me of future glory, future glory for America, future glory for the world. So let's move forward in the confidence that our future is bright because Jesus has already won the war. All right, God bless you guys. Next time I will begin sharing what happened on our college campuses over these past couple of weeks, including people coming to know the Lord. It's very exciting. So look forward to sharing that with you next. God bless. God bless.